Welcome to the Name, Image, and Likeness session in the policy track of the Gazette's annual Iowa Ideas Conference. I'm your moderator, John Steppe. I cover Iowa Hawkeyes football for the Gazette. We have a great panel today for this conversation on what's been a fascinating topic over the last year as we've been in the early stages of the NIL era of college sports. Now I will turn over to our panelists to introduce themselves with their name, job title, and how NIL affects them. So let's start off with David. Good afternoon, I'm David Harris, uh, Director of Athletics here at the University of Northern Iowa. Uh, and our position, NIL, uh, impacts us primarily uh, in that we're trying to help our student athletes understand the opportunities that are in front of them. How can we provide the appropriate education and assistance so that they can take advantage of this new door that has been opened? Uh, so the better we are at that, I think the more attractive uh, we are as an institution to student athletes who are considering uh, University of Northern Iowa. And then Lila. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Lila Clary. I am the Senior Associate Athletics Director for Compliance and Sports Performance at the University of Iowa. Um, so dealing with NLI, you know, I, I, similar along the lines of what David said is I, I think our role is to really educate our student athletes to put them in the best position to take full advantage if they choose within this NIL space. And at the same time to help arm our coaches to be able to help their student athletes in that space as well. And last but not least, Brad. Hi, good afternoon. My name is Brad Heinrichs. I'm the president of the, of the Swarm. Um, we are unattached from the University of Iowa Athletics, but we have a, an organization that uh, tries to empower our student athletes to profit from their name, image, and likeness, but um, different than, than many other collectives across the country, we're asking them to, to earn their money by by help doing good acts in the in the community to to uh, to benefit those those around us. And then Brad, I'll start off with you. How is your path to is your full time actuary right? <laughs> That's right. Yeah, um, my day job is is to be an actuary. Um, I run a, a national actuarial firm. Um, but I it, once upon a time, many years ago. I was a student athlete at the University of Iowa, and um, I, I grew fond of the university, not even being a native Iowan. And, and I feel like I owe a lot to the University of Iowa because they, they really took care of me in my formative years. And, and when this name image likeness thing came about, it became pretty clear to me that there's, there's, a, there's a right way of doing this and a wrong way of doing this. And, and I wanted to step forward to, to try to help do things the Iowa way and, and uh, make it so that these kids can, can, can get what's coming to them, uh, rightfully so, but uh, in a manner that, that Iowans can be proud of. And then as you're talking about doing things the right way, that's a great segue into my next question for Lila. As someone working in compliance, what has the past year plus looked like considering the lack of NIL enforcement from the NCAA? If I had to sum it up in one word, I'd probably say chaos. <laughs> um, it, you know, it's been a very different space than what the people who work in the world of compliance are used to. Um, you know, 
we we st what we're, where we started on July one of twenty twenty one is very different than where we are even today, and it's it was very it's a difficult space to be in when um, you know we're in a space where we're used to going to the conference office or to the NCA for guidance and direction, and in this particular space they were unable to do that. I said they were not answering any questions in regards to NIL. And so it was le left up to each institutional discretion, which, um, you know, depending on what state you are in, could lead you down a different path. And so just not really having the concrete direction and information that we could pass along to our student athletes, to those people that were interested in working in that NIL space and with our coaches, it was just very difficult because you might see some activities going on at other schools that you know that just don't feel right or don't seem right working in the space that we're used to, um, but then not seeing any response or enforcement from the NCAA. So it's just been a really trying year and trying to figure out how do we at the University of Iowa respond and participate within the space and still feel comfortable and confident in what we do and what our mission has always been in serving our student athletes. So it's been a little chaotic. Um, I don't know how much better the next year will be, but hopefully eventually soon we'll be on a better path. And then a question for everybody, and I'll start with David on this one. Do you believe a national NIL law would help? And do you think it would happen? That's a great question. I, I don't know if it will happen. I think there is a benefit, certainly, if everyone is playing by the same set of rules. And so I think that's what you hear within our industry. And, and Lila just mentioned a state by state. If you have state laws and your state is more permissive than, than uh, mine, then uh, that creates uh, somewhat of a, a competitive advantage. And uh, all of us working in athletics uh, certainly have um, over time gotten very sensitive to anything that we think is a competitive advantage or, or a disadvantage. Uh, and so I know that there's been talk for a while uh, about the need for one standard that would apply to everyone, a national standard. So I don't know if that's where we're going to end up. I don't know if the momentum uh, in that area is uh, as significant as it was even uh, a few months ago. Uh, but certainly anything that would govern that we're all playing by the same set of rules, I think is valuable for people who work in college athletics. Lila, what do you think of this? Yeah, I mean, I agree. I definitely think at this point in time, the only way to kind of right ship this is with some national federal assistance. Um, I don't I don't believe anymore that the NCA has the power or authority that can get this back in line and regulate this the way that it needs to. And so we're at the point where I think we do need nas uh, national federal assistance um, and that doesn't happen quickly. <laughs> and so that's going to be the tough part is getting it to actually um, make its way all the way through legislation and um, get put into place um, when we're not working on a even playing field, it makes it really difficult. And then Brad, what's your perspective on this from a collective standpoint? It, it, it's the same. I mean, obviously having clear rules makes our lives, our lives easier. Um, on the national scale, obviously, you know, having a, having a one set of rules would be, would be nice. I think it's really a two-step process though. You gotta, you have to, somebody who makes laws has to decide that we need one set of rules 
Um, once, once you accomplish that though, you got to figure out what those rules are. And, and I think that there will be, I think it'll be easier to cross the first hurdle, deciding that we need a set of rules. I think there will be a lot of disagreement, however, in, in when, when they start talking about, well, what do these rules look like? Um, because I, I, I think there'll be uh, varying uh, points of view as to um, who should be able to do what and how. And then I think we've all seen probably the headlines about a lot of prominent athletes getting NIL deals. Caitlin Clark just, I think, is this week having the Nike deal. David, are you seeing much NIL activity among your athletes at UNI? We're seeing some, and I think for us, uh, the majority of what we're seeing either has to do with student athletes starting their own camps and clinics, either here in the area or in their hometown or compensation that they're receiving through social media posts. So connecting with a, a company or organization and then being paid uh, whatever is the negotiated amount uh, based on what they're doing from social media. Uh, so I don't know that any of those have resulted in any uh, large scale deals, but uh, at least from a frequency standpoint, that seems to be what we're seeing more than anything here uh, on our campus. And does that come up much as your coaches are trying to recruit? So I'm, I'm not in the conversations with the coaches, so I couldn't speak to that with any real authority, but I would just say anecdotally and from conversations that I have when I meet with recruits uh, is that it does come up uh, from time to time. And it depends on the sport and depends on the student athlete or prospective student athlete and what they're looking for. And so um we try to do our best to make sure they understand that our responsibility really is to provide education. Uh, we're not in the business of trying to facilitate um, NIL deals. That's one of the, the foundational things that you're not supposed to be doing uh, in this space. But uh, we do want them to know that if they decide to come to the university, that there are deals out there for those who put together the infrastructure to go out and pursue them the right way. Uh, and they, they can make money uh, if they can, you know, get connected to advisors, financial advisors, attorneys, uh, and others who, who can advise them the best way to protect themselves uh, and to maximize the opportunity. And then, Brad, you have a relatively unique approach with the Swarm Collective on using nonprofits as a way to kind of facilitate things, I guess you'd say. How did that idea come about? Well, uh, that's a good question. Um, it, you know, it, going back to what I said about doing things the right way, um, having spent some time in Iowa, it was clear to me that Iowans care about community. And um, it's also clear to me that when NIL came out, there was a really strong negative connotation. Um, there still is to, to some level, right? Um, and I thought, you know what? the best way for Iowa to, to, to do this and be successful and have Iowans actually get behind this um, would be to link up this concept with the community in some way, shape or form. And, and so that's one of the reasons I stepped forward um, to, to try to start this initiative. So far we've given out we, we've, we've paid over $100,000 to student athletes in the first three months that, that we've been up and running. Um, but these student athletes have also done hundreds of hours of community service 
to 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 warrant those those payments. So um, our community here in, in in eastern Iowa is already benefiting from the work of the swarm, and and I, I can't be more excited than I am today about the progress we've made in, in such a short period of time. And I believe this is a big week for you with that community service work as well. It, it, it is. We're, we're, this week we're swarming the community, um, as, we, as we're uh, trying to say. Uh, there's an event every single day, whether it's with the big sister, big brothers, big sisters, or with, with local schools. Um, I think we may be doing something with a, um, with the wheelchair basketball group. Um, I should know the name, but I don't offhand. Um, in any event, there's a there's a different event every single day that our student athletes can sign up with, sign up for, where they can volunteer their time um, and their celebrity, so to speak, to work with kids and influence them in the right way. And you would be you, you may may or may not be surprised. Our student athletes are tripping over themselves to sign up for this. They really are excited about um, the work that we're doing, and you see some of the social media posts um, out there. And so it's been a great week so far. And then Lila, there were early reports in kind of the first few weeks, first few months of NIL of some companies coming in and offering contracts to athletes that offer, that give up their rights in perpetuity. Is that something that you had to deal with at Iowa? Yeah, we, we definitely solve that too. And But what we've done is we continue to, our message with the athletes is that we are there to educate you. And so we want to give them the tools um, and the resources to handle their NIL experiences appropriately. And so we are we were not able to advise them on their legal contract. Um, so we would refer them to various folks. Um, there's entities on campus that can do that. Um, or even local providers that do that. But we, we raised those questions for them and gave them some of those keywords that like, here's what you look for when you're signing these contracts and A, don't sign it without reading it, um, even if it is 10 pages, um, because we definitely saw that, we saw that early on. Um, but that was one thing that campus made clear from the beginning is that we could not provide legal advice on their contracts because we were not a party to that contract. Um, but we, we've seen it, we, it's, it's gotten much better. But even when we still see some of those come through, we're like, you might wanna read this one again. <laughs> that, and, and John that one and Lila, one of the things that we provide, one of the services we provide at Swarm is, is to help our student athletes with the legal um, aspect of contracts. And, and I know Lila can't, can't get involved there, but um, we will. Um, we're looking out for the student athletes um, independently and, um, and so that service is available uh, for them as well. Was that something you originally planned to be part of Swarm or was that a case of, oh, wow, this is a need here that we can fulfill? It, it, it was a secondary uh, thought, really. Um, obviously, you, you want to protect the student athletes. Uh, um, you want to make sure that they're not signing unconscionable contracts. You want to make sure that when it comes time to do something they've never done before, which is pay taxes, they're 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 they understand how to go about that, um, and so that's that's again we, we we I know Lila's group probably spends some time um, with student athletes on that as well, but there there are certain things we we want to try to be paternalistic as an organization, and uh, 
as you know, some college kids uh, need still still need some need a lot of assistance. So uh, that's what that's what we're doing. And then, Lila, what's been your approach on how to educate athletes on taxes, contracts, all these little things that I think most 18-year-olds probably don't think about? Yeah, we've had a couple of different options just because once that doesn't work for everybody. Um, You know, last spring, we partnered with a couple of folks and did an online um, NIL summit. Um, almost similar probably to what this is here today, um, and had various speakers come in about branding themselves, about taxes and finances and all of those things. We've um, now, (laughs) we've been able to do some in-person education training systems. We've worked with people from our campus, from the College of Law, from the John Papajohn Entrepreneurship Institute. And so just kind of trying to bring in the resources that can help satisfy their need of what they need to to best position themselves. In addition, we partner with an outside entity called Influencer. So that's a mobile app through their phone um, that at any point in time, they can select a topic and watch a short video about it um, and then request additional information and continue to identify you know, whether this person wants to talk about branding themselves and the next person is more interested in, you know, starting up their own business um, and taxes and all of those things. So we've tried to put it, put out different options. We've partnered with another group that comes in two or three times a year to do those in-person um, sessions. Because what we find is, you know, we're with the students all year long. They don't want to continue to hear from us about everything. And so we bring in outside sources to give them a fresh voice and a, a fresh take on different things. And then David, you have a unique perspective on the big picture as a member of the NCAA's Division I Council. What conversations have come up there about NIL and what are the concerns you're hearing from your colleagues across the country? The biggest conversation is one that we mentioned earlier, and and we haven't talked about it as much um, here recently, uh, but I would say over the past six months or so, uh, a lot of the concern was just about how do we level the playing field? Uh, How do you get to a point where everyone is operating off the same set of rules? And uh, there there has not been a a clear uh, answer or a clear a pathway to a solution on that. So a lot of the conversation on the national level just had to do with uh, looking at those that we knew uh, were not keeping the spirit of how NIL was supposed to be functioning. Uh, and they quite frankly were breaking the rules uh, because um, there are very few rules in place, number one, uh, but number two, uh, the few that we do have didn't seem to be enforced in any significant way. So you had people who were completely trying to do this the right way, uh, trying to make sure that student athletes were doing some type of work uh, for the compensation that they were receiving, that it wasn't being used to influence um, uh, enrollment uh, at an institution, uh, that it wasn't being used as an incentive uh, in in the recruiting uh, space. Uh, And you have people who were you know, going against that uh, in every category, in in every space. Uh, and so a lot of the national conversation has been, uh, what can we do about that? Who would need to be involved? Is this something where you need to have uh, congressional uh, involvement and have a national or federal law 
to be able to do it? Or is this something that as an NCAA body, we could uh, govern? Uh, and the last significant conversation that I remember having about this is that it, it just seems as though given that there are now state laws in place, uh, that anything short of federal national intervention is not going to uh, do us any good. I don't believe the NCA has the ability at this point uh, to be able to do that. And I know at some point we'll be under new leadership uh, at the NCA national office. And so maybe there'll be a re-engagement and re-involvement about what the NCA can do in this space. Uh, but right now, uh, it just seems as though we're going through this with uh, everybody uh, doing what's either being governed by the institution uh, or their state uh, and uh, everybody understanding what the foundational rules are, but uh, not everybody following those rules. And then as you're talking about the competitive playing field, do you see the competitive gap between FBS and FCS widening, narrowing? staying the same now that we're a year and I guess almost a year and a half into NIL? I don't know if we see any of that as of yet, but it doesn't mean that we won't see it uh, over a period of time. I think as as we go year in and year out, uh, you could certainly see a, a widening of the gap, but part of that will depend on what the FCS programs decide uh, to do and uh, because you have to make decisions uh, in this space as well, in that at a place like the University of Northern Iowa, we have to give some serious thought to how much we would want our supporters to be involved in NIL, because that's perhaps going to divert their funding away from us. Uh, and we're not funded the same way uh, that University of Iowa, or Iowa State, or other Power Five programs are. So when that diversion happens, it has a real significant impact on us financially. And so we have to look and make decisions on whether or not this is a route that we feel like we can go down and still be able to have a successful athletics department and accomplish all of our goals and fund scholarships and uh, do the things that we have to do to be able to have a successful department. So NIL is certainly important. Uh, but we can't afford to be in a spot where uh, we have a number of our supporters making such significant <clears throat> contributions in that area that it breaks down what we're trying to do to be able to run uh, our department. And so for us, that's something that we always have to think about. And quite honestly, uh, I think everyone is thinking about that, right? It has a bigger impact on the FCS programs because the funding model is different. But I imagine Lyle would probably tell you that uh, even at the University of North, the University of Iowa, which is funded differently, they still have to look at uh, what message is appropriate to send to their supporters and donors uh, in this space, so they can make sure that their financial infrastructure uh, is intact. Have you seen any diverting of funds yet? We have not seen that. That's something that we're always concerned about and, and thinking of, and on the lookout for. Uh, but to this point, uh, we don't feel like there's been any significant diversion of funds that support the department toward NIL. Uh, we don't know if that will hold up uh, over time, but to this point, uh, it hasn't been a concern. And then, Brad, have you seen much overlap between the people who are supporting Swarm and the people who are supporting the Iowa Athletic Department through the iClub? 
Sure, there's definitely uh, quite a bit of overlap. Um, some of the biggest donors for in the Iowa Athletic Department are also uh, supporting Swarm. They they understand that that yeah you need you need nice facilities in order to compete, um, but <laughs> if if the players on the field aren't um, up to standard, then you're not going to have a very enjoyable afternoon or evening um, at the stadium or arena. And, and so they, they understand this. And so, you know, one of the difficult, one of the difficult challenges for them or, 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 you know, dilemmas that they have, of course, is, you know, figuring out what, how much to divert um, or to divert any at all. Um, and, and so we're, we're really trying hard to not make this a competition between the fundraisers for the athletic department and us at Swarm. Um, that's difficult, right? Because they, they have their needs um, and, and we have ours. And, and, and so um, it's unfortunate that sometimes uh, donors feel like they're kind of put in the middle and, the, and, and they're being tugged at in two different directions. Um, but we're really trying hard to work together with the, the fundraisers for Iowa Athletics to, to not make the donors feel that way. But it's inevitable to some level. And I can appreciate where David's the situation David's in. Um, 100%. What I would say too, though, um, something exciting for say, say a, a university like Northern Iowa, if they are able to, to put together an NIL program, it might really separate them um, as an FCS school from their peers in the FCS uh, um, arena. So, I mean, I, I like to look at this as all opportunity, uh, not a threat. And then is there a target number that now you've been at this for a few months and have probably a little more of your bearings down in the NIL world of how much you'd like to be raising annually? Yeah. Um, I think you might've even asked me this question at the press conference, if I yeah. remember right. And I think I said something like six to $10 million. Um, I, I really haven't come off of that. I, I think $10 million is, is, I don't know if it's a magic number or not. Um, but it's it's really something that we're targeting. Um, we we've we've raised over a million dollars in in the first uh, few months. Um, as much of that is from from bigger donors, but the the masses are starting to catch on, and and we have lots of in the, you know lots of individual smaller donor members as well coming on board. Um, but yeah, I think it's going to need to be in that in that sort of area in order for us to to accomplish everything that we're trying to accomplish. Can we do, can we do great things with less? Of course. Um, but that doesn't mean we can't have lofty goals. And then what was the calculus involved in? So you have football, men's basketball and women's basketball to have those three sports and have it be equal among the athletes across all three of those sports. Well, I wanted things to be equitable, right? So there's your, even across all sports um, components. Um, and, and, and in talking to the coaches and, and bouncing ideas off of them, they felt like their locker rooms would be a whole lot nicer if everybody on the team or on the roster had the same opportunity. Um, and, and so that, that really resonated with me. That concept resonated with me, felt fair. And, and so that's, that's that piece. Now, as far as what, you know, which, which programs, um, I think that's, 
that um, men's basketball and, and football were the obvious two that you would start with just from the standpoint of the revenue that they bring in and, and the interest level at, at games and whatnot. But women's basketball, obviously at Iowa is a big deal. Um, we've got probably the best women's basketball player in the country on our roster currently. Um, certainly one of the most celebrated anyway. And, and, and so women's basketball here is, 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 is a big deal. And it just felt right to include women's basketball along with men's basketball. Um, I don't like to be accused of being a chauvinist. So, um, so it, it really just felt like the, the right thing to do there. Wrestling is also a huge deal at the University of Iowa. Um, but if, if you know much about our wrestling program, they are very astute at fundraising on their own and they have the Hawkeye Wrestling Club. And, and so they really had uh, an infrastructure already in place to really help those student athletes. Um, ultimately, we'd love to go to some of the other sports that maybe not as revenue generating um, or revenue producing, uh, but that, that that's gonna take some time. We need to be able to fund the, the big revenue producing sports first adequately. And then to the extent that we can continue to grow this organization, We'll try to move on into the other sports that may not generate as much revenue for the athletic department. And then Lila, are you seeing many Iowa athletes hiring agents for this? Or are they mostly handling this on their own? Yeah, we do have a good, a good few that have um, hired brand managers or agents, um, you know, and, and for some of them, it works well so that they can focus all of their time on efforts, you know, on the field or on the court and in the classroom. And then the agent takes care of, all of their activities. I don't think it's necessarily necessary to have to hire those agents, um, but for those that have, I, I think for the most part, it's worked well for them. And then what's kind of your general advice to an athlete who comes to Iowa and wants to take advantage of NIL? You know, I, I would say ask a lot of questions. Um, you know, we have just a ton of resources available to them. Um, and that's really what our role is, is to educate and give them the resources and the tools they need for this space. And so just to ask those questions and, you know, it, it does take a lot of work um, on their part too. Um, you know, the coaches and staff here, they want to kind of tee them up for their opportunities and then it's up to the student to execute it. And so um, having those conversations, asking those questions um, and just putting in the time and effort behind it in order to be successful. And we've seen a number of student athletes take great advantage of amazing opportunities. You know, and they're, they're not all just about being an Iowa Hawkeye. It's about them as a person, as, as an individual and what their passions are. Um, and they're just tapping into that and exploring those avenues. And, and that's worked well for them. I've noticed from covering Iowa, a lot of different creative ideas of how to take advantage of NIL. What have been some of your favorite creative ideas you've seen? Oh goodness, um, you know I, I think some of probably the some of the favorite ones we like to see is when they're not only doing it for themselves but they're they're doing it to help um, another nonprofit. Um, you know, obviously we've seen student athletes contribute to other student athletes' success. Um, um, there's been so many different. And sometimes you just get to see a different side of a student athlete than what you're used to seeing on, on the field or in the court. And if they're in a commercial being silly and just seeing another side to them, um, it, it's good to be able to see the whole person because there's so much more than just the athlete. David, any feverish creative NIL ideas you've seen? 
Uh, I don't I don't know if I have anything that fits in that category. I was just thinking that uh, maybe my my favorite piece of this is just seeing student athletes who are willing to and wanting to get involved uh, in community groups and community service organizations on their own. That that's the way they're choosing to step into this space. I think we, as an athletics department, we're always encouraging our student athletes to go out and get involved with community service. And we have themed community service events and department-wide events. Uh, and sometimes you, you, you never know how that's landing with your student athletes. They're involved with it, but you never know whether or not they view it as something that's really important or something uh, that's just a part of the responsibility for being a student athlete. Well, now that they're into this space with NIL, where they can make choices about what they're going to do or not going to do, to see them continuing to go down the road of being helpful to other people, being helpful to um, organizations that help people in the community, uh, it's just great to know that they have a heart uh, for being involved in those types of activities. Uh, and uh, it's not surprising uh, because we know we have uh, great young men and women, uh, but certainly have, they have a lot of responsibility on them. And so um, doing things that take additional time, volunteering to do that, uh, setting that up as part of their NIL infrastructure just says a lot about the kind of young men and women uh, that we're fortunate enough to have. Yeah, and then Lila, we knew that, oh, go ahead, Brad. No, I was just going to echo what, what, what John just said. I, I think he, he very well put. And um, from our perspective, you know, being, being a mid, mid to late career person myself and having, having children at home, um, this concept of, of, of really whether, it, well, it's not forcing these folks to go into the community to help incenting them to go into the community to help. What we're hoping is that it makes these student athletes who are already good people, even better people, and that this spirit of giving will carry over into the rest of their lives once they leave the University of Iowa and they'll pass that down to their children and it'll make the, the, the entire state of Iowa an even better place to live. Um, that's really a, a broader goal and objective of this, again, trying to turn something that has a negative a negative connotation into something that really, really benefits um, a lot of people across the state. And then Lila, kind of going back in time a little bit, we knew it seemed like that NIL to some extent was going to be coming in 2021, but it wasn't until pretty last second that we knew what exactly it would look like, especially with the various, this state is passing such and such NIL law, Iowa hadn't been passing one. How did your team prepare for that kind of unusual set of circumstances? Uh, yeah, a number of ways. You know, the NCA had put out some draft proposals and legislation that they were going to um, act upon. And so we kind of used, used that as a starting point, as if this is what, if this were to get adopted, how would we respond to this? What would our policies and our procedures look like? In addition to that, we took a look at the NFLPA 
um, you know, Third Players Association through various professional leagues and how they work in this space with their athletes. I mean, this isn't new. This, I mean, it's new for college athletics, but it's not a new space. And so we look through the professional agencies to see what their policies were, um, what they allowed and what restrictions they had in place. And so we had an idea of where we wanted to go. And it literally was the last second that the NCA said, eh, put all those proposals on the back burner. We're just gonna do this interim policy, which basically just says it can't be pay for play and you can't be a recruiting inducement. Anything other than that, we're not looking <laughs> is basically what it came down to. So um, we had to revisit our policies um, and you know we didn't wanna be overly restrictive or overly permissive. We needed to find a good space that we all felt comfortable with. And, and it was, you're right, it was working to the last minute of, of getting that finalized and getting that final seal of approval for us here at the University of Iowa. Um, but if, if we landed in a good spot. We we did make one slight change to our policy from what was re released on July 1 of 2021. Um, and that had to do with the disclosure. The NCA proposal that, was, that we had been working off of included a disclosure requirement. Um, we were obviously in a state that did not have a state law that required a disclosure, and that was not a piece that the NCA included in their interim policy. And so we found that very, very difficult to enforce. And so, um, you know, we do still ask for a disclosure, but there's not a requirement. We started with a seven-day requirement for disclosure, which we spent hours and hours trying to track that down from student athletes, and it was just kind of um, not the best use of our time. And so we still work with the student athletes on their disclosure. It's a very simple process. It's not an approval process. It's a disclosure process. And so we still live in that space. It's just no longer has a tag of, of a requirement. But other than that, um, you know, we're still working under the same policy. We still have the same philosophy with that space. And it's just to continue to provide the students the resources and the tools that they need, as well as doing the same for the coaches um, as they are uh, you know, whether it's recruiting in this space or working with their current student athletes in this space um, along those lines. I think NIL is going to look like in five years from now, so 2027. Um, I think the question is, what do I think NIL is going to look like in five years? Is that the question, basically? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Um. Five years. It's a good question, and it's and it's all speculative. I, I would like to think that in five years we'll have um, uh, a national set of more clearly defined rules. I'd like to think in five years we'll have that. Um, and it may not happen until such time that uh, a, a school or two feels like they have gotten the wrong end of, of a deal somewhere and they push their, their local legislators uh, really hard to, to, to draft legislation. Um, but I would expect that. Um, it would not surprise me. Maybe it's not five years from now, maybe it's 10 years from now, I'm not sure. It would not surprise me that it, at some point that the independence of the NIL um, goes away and that the athletic departments can either bring these separate collectives into the fold or you know, just explicitly subsidize um, the uh, the independent collective. That would not surprise me either. It seems very odd to me that the success of, say, for, say for David David's athletic department 
may someday rely upon an organization that he can have no affiliation with. <laughs> you think about that. That's really kind of crazy. Um, he, David's even shaking his head. Um, and, I've, and I've talked to Iowa's coaches about this. Um, you know, it, for, for them to now suddenly rely upon me is somewhat crazy, um, to be honest. And, and they're relying on me to be successful so that they can um, so that they can retain the players that they have on their roster and they won't leave to go work, to go play somewhere else where they can um, have more financial opportunities. Um, I, I feel like that's going to go away at some point. Um, that's just my thought, but I'm, I'm certainly, it's very speculative, but I'm, I would love to hear what Lyle and David have to say about that. Yeah, I, I would probably just throw in that, well, two things. One, I would hope five years from now we see a um, a more sophisticated level of student athlete because they're coming in with this knowledge that's been passed down over time about the right way to do this. Much more sophisticated than when I played 30 years ago where we would have had no sense of how to do something like this. I would hope over the next five years we're going to have student athletes entering our institutions that have a better sense of how to run their own business, their own personal business, how to maximize opportunities, how to make money and how to do it the right way and how to be smart and not taken advantage of and how to use the people that are around them uh, as resources to be able to help them uh, maximize uh, their value. Uh, but to Brad's point, and, you know, there, there is a, a swing that I feel like is starting to happen some, in some ways with institutions saying, you know, this has all started with us not having any involvement uh, with NIL or with collectives. Is that the right place to be? Uh, is that a sustainable place? Do we, uh, would we be in a better position if we were involved in some form or fashion? Uh, does that give us a better ability to be able to protect and help our student athletes as opposed to leaving that to others that maybe we have no connection with. And so uh, I don't know if it'll officially move that way, uh, but I know there certainly are conversations where um, that's kind of going against the grain a little bit from where this all started, that maybe uh, over time we need more institutional involvement and not less. Yeah, I, I would absolutely agree with you on that, David. We ultimately, we will be held accountable for all of these NIL deals, regardless of what our level of involvement is. And so I think um, to best position us, we need to be, have, be able to have direct involvement and we absolutely need uh, federal assistance with that. Um, we, it can't be these one-offs, it can't be handled individually or by state. Um, not, I don't even know if by conference would work. Um, so we do need some national assistance to regulate this and to allow the institution to be directly involved. Um, you know, not that I want to add that to our plate, but I, I think to best position and protect both the student and the university, I think we, we need to be able to, to do that. And then question specifically for David, do you expect short term before we get to that point of more institutional control, schools like you and I having a collective? Uh, I, I would think so. I know there's been at least some initial conversation 
uh, with uh, one of our sports programs about the possibility of having a collective uh, as you know this year. Uh, so certainly you're going to see that happening at at UNI and other FCS programs uh, because uh, there are uh, community members who want to find new ways to be able to get involved. They want to find ways to be able to support student athletes directly and um, also support athletics departments. And so uh, for some people, it's supporting scholarships. For some people, it's going to be supporting facilities. For some, it's going to be directly supporting student athletes. And so uh, there's certainly enough need uh, in all of our departments that if you're someone who is a part of a collective, um, you will be able to help student athletes directly. But if there's uh, if that's not your interest, there are other ways that you can help your your local uh, athletics department. So I think uh, for us, collectives uh, are certainly something uh, that's a part of our, our future and really a part of our present. And I think you will see that at schools that are similar uh, to you and I. And then a reminder to our attendees that you can submit any questions that you have via the chat function. And then in the meantime, a question for Brad, you're the relative newcomer here to NIL. As we're kind of all newcomers, but you especially probably, what's been the biggest surprise to you since you first started Swarm? Hmm. Um, the biggest surprise, the, the biggest surprise has probably just been the, the negative connotation that NIL has out there um, and, and the ability to overcome that. Um, even with uh, the structure that we have uh, in place, it, it's still, there's still a lot of skepticism around NIL. And it's going to take a little bit of time, I think, before our, our structure and our process and, and, and all of the good things that we're doing really start to resonate with people. And it's taken longer than I expected. I'm, I'm not a very patient person. So, um, so, so that's probably been the, the, the biggest surprise. Does that come up then as you're trying to fundraise some of that skepticism? Uh, oh, of course, of course. You, you'll get the, well, isn't a scholarship enough? Um, isn't, you know, back when I played, we, you know, I, I was lucky to get a scholarship and now they're getting paid, you know, that, that sometimes the people will act like these guys are getting hundreds of thousands of dollars. And that's not that's not the case at all. Um, in fact, if you were to 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 pay these people by the hour and give them minimum wage for all of the time that they're that they're working uh, or practicing their sport, they would have plenty enough money to pay for their scholarship. Um, so so or pay for their schooling. Um, but in any event, yes, it does come up and there, that's, that's, there are some people that won't even entertain a conversation because it's about NIL and they think that it's just not something that they can get behind or even choose to entertain getting behind. How quickly do you think they'll go away? Well, I thought it would have gone away already. So, um, I was wrong the first time. Um, you know, I, I think I think we're probably maybe six to twelve months away of of really showing the results of what we're what we're doing. Um, having the student athletes help market it by telling how much fun they're having and how and how how rewarding it's been for them, not just financially, 
but but intrinsically um, and the value that they're getting um, by getting to work with. I think this morning they were the football. A lot of the football players were working with with kids that that, that struggle with literacy and and helping them helping them learn to read better. I mean, that's pretty cool stuff. And these kids just eat, they, they, these kids are just enamored by these professional athletes and it makes them want to learn to read even, even more, um, learn to read faster. Uh, they, 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 if they, if they can do what the football players do, then maybe they can be that good someday. Who knows? Um, but, uh, yeah, I think it's going to take, it's going to take a fair amount of more time. And, and it's, uh, there's a lot of education. There's an educational um, gap there that that really um, needs to needs time. That's that's it. And then going off that point about how these athletes aren't making hundreds of thousands of dollars, usually at least. Yes. Lila, do you see like a specific number of like okay, generally these deals are in such and such ballpark range? I mean, it varies. It's it's really all over the board. Um, it can be from like $500 for, you know, a couple of social media posts. It could be exchanged for product. You know, Liquid IV is a big, is a big product with college athletes um, and, and up to, you know, six figures and plus. And so it's just, it's all over the board to vehicles and um, it's, 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 it's crazy. Um, you know, and, and the nice part about it that where with NIL and in its true um, original sense of it, you know, we also see the same where students are getting paid to be able to do their artwork, to publish their book, to do their music performance, all of those things that is truly for their name, image, likeness. You know, um, a couple of years ago, I had to work on a number of different waivers just for Dallas Jacobus to be able to play his song. Um, and so this gives them that opportunity to pursue that on their own um, without any issues or restrictions. Um, and so I think I think if we can get to back to that space um, as a starting point, I, I think that'd be helpful because we see- I guess, that's, that. I guess that's one less headache you would have now yeah. if Dallas was still an athlete. Yeah. <laughs> and then David, are you hearing specific numbers for what your athletes are receiving or- is that more of your compliance staff that's seeing that? Yeah, I, I think it's more of, of our compliance staff. I haven't heard uh, really any numbers on what our student athletes are doing, so I'm not sure exactly what range they're falling in. Uh, I'm I'm hoping uh, that it's appropriate for whatever work uh, that they're doing. That's the big thing. You want this to be uh, a good thing for them. I, I am a uh, proponent of NIL. It, it certainly makes our jobs more challenging, uh, more things to manage, more things to think about, more things to be accountable for. But the idea that our young men and women have the opportunity to be able to have this, uh, I think is the right thing uh, in the right direction. And so I hope that whatever they're making uh, is uh, commensurate with uh, the work that they are doing and the value that they have uh, to that company or to that agency. And then, Brad, you've mentioned a couple misconceptions with NIL. Question for everyone across the board. What do you think is the number one biggest misconception right now about NIL? Let's start with David on this one. Wow. Um, 
I think I would just say that NIL is a bad thing that, you know, the, and, and Brad mentioned it earlier, you know, I've, I have heard some of the, some similar comments uh, as people have talked about it, you know, they're, uh, they kind of lump in NIL with other things that they think uh, are negative about the NCAA. It's like, hey, you got NIL, you got the transfer portal, you got these other things that they feel are, are um, ruining college athletics. Now, uh, I can say from my standpoint, it's certainly making our lives more challenging, more difficult. Uh, it's not making it easier. And it's a whole new set of things that we have to be concerned about that in my 25 years in the in the profession, we haven't had to be concerned about before. So in that regard, it does make our lives harder, but not everything that makes your life harder is a bad thing. Uh, and so for me, I think if NIL is done correctly, used correctly, the way that it was intended, done for work and for value that's given to a company and organization, um, people playing by the same rules, following the same standards, uh, a, a kind of a national uh, set of um, laws that govern how it happens, uh, I think it can be a good thing. Uh, the challenge is that we're not there yet, right? We're, uh, we're not there. And so, you know, for many of us, uh, NIL, which I think has a, uh, a good intention and a good value for student athletes, can really end up being a bad thing because it's just uh, another way for some people uh, to to cheat uh, and not follow the rules uh, in order to gain an advantage. And so uh, we have to find a way to clean it up so that the value of it uh, can shine through in a positive way. Then Lila, what do you think? Uh, the, the biggest misconception of NIL? Yeah. That everybody's doing it. Um, you know, last year after the first full year in that space, we probably only had about a quarter of our athletes actively participating in it. Um, so we, we spend a lot of time, effort, and energy with it. And for that first year, we only saw about a quarter of our athletes participating. Do you see it going up this year? I think so. And and I think as more high school students are being permitted to, to get into that space, and so they're coming in already with different things that they've been used to, um, I think it'll increase. And as, as students learn more about it, um, you know, and maybe that was a good sign that they didn't just jump in before doing some research um, and kind of figuring things out. But um, so, yeah, so we're seeing a slight increase. It's still, it's not across the board. And, and quite frankly, the majority um, of our athletes that were in the space were the female athletes. And then Brad, um, your biggest still got more sessions to come with this oh, that is IYBS easy to conference, run a, a including Dan Gable and Clarissa Sean is tomorrow's keynote um, speaker. No. So thanks again for uh, tuning in and you know, have a great day. And maybe more to Lila's point, I was just we were just having a meeting earlier today about about participation, and, and this year now, while it may not have come across Lila's desk yet because they haven't, some of these people haven't done any any deals yet, but. Uh, out of the 157 people that we have eligible in, in football, men's basketball, women's basketball, we have 116 who have who have signed up to participate. And so, so I would say there's an increase in participation, at least in terms of interest and, and, and willingness to, to, to do things. Now, will they act on it and actually participate? We're going to see. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so, so you know, one last thing I think I would say, 
And I think it's really kind of to David's point and um, about how it's bad. I mean, I, I think that the NIL um, concept was a good one. Uh, I think that the transfer portal probably independently was a good one. But it's almost like two, two, two good, two drugs that are good um, that are that could help you independently when taken in tandem. I think that could cause a problem sometimes. Um, and and I would say that NIL plus the transfer portal, it it, it almost breeds some of the or incents some bad the bad actors to act badly. Um, and and you know and I don't know if that's the part of the point that David was making, but it. It, you know, it can really um, cause some issues when, you know, the folks enter the transfer portal and then it almost looks like it's becoming an auction as to where, you know, it, you have to pay money to get a kid to come out of the transfer portal and go to your school. And, and, and at Iowa, that's just not something that we're willing. That's not a game that we're willing to play. And, and so that puts us at a competitive disadvantage to some level. Um, but, but that's also why I'm hopeful that in the future we'll have more clear direction and rules, and, and hopefully uh, everybody will abide by them. And then with one minute left, a speed round here with this question. If you were a college athlete right now who could benefit off NIL, what would be the top company that you would want to do an NIL deal with? If I was a student athlete, it would probably be a, a Tex-Mex company that, that gave me free burritos or something. <laughs> and we see a lot of those. <laughs> College kids like to eat. <laughs> I would say I'm a, a native of Louisiana, grew up in Baton Rouge. So I love seafood. There was a place in Baton Rouge called Tony's Seafood, uh, where I could get uh, all of my shrimp, crawfish, crabs, all of that. So I would definitely want to... Uh, be a spokesperson for Tony <laughs> Seafood in exchange for all the crawfish that I can eat. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even have to pay me money, just pay me in crawfish. Uh, <laughs> etouffee, all, all you can eat etouffee. Absolutely, there you go. Uh, I think I'll keep it simple and I'm gonna go with some ice cream. My kids love <laughs> ice cream every day, so we'll go with ice cream. <laughs> there you go. Get a daily update from the Gazette with our daily news podcast. Add it to your podcast player or your Alexa-friendly device to get a bite-sized local news update each day. Check it out at thegazette.com slash podcasts.